0: will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you, that's you, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Very specific, very deliberate words from Christ there to us and I want to expound on them today. He's not just vaguely grabbing areas or regions of the world just out of the sky. There's a very deliberate progression here that we will do very well to follow. He starts, if you notice, right there in Jerusalem. And we want to work through these. Jerusalem is our home. You know, Judea is our city. Samaria is our enemies. And ultimately on to the nations of the world. Let's begin exactly where he begins. Jesus Christ tells me and tells you in order to cope with discipleship properly, Go and make disciples, and this is what you're going to teach them. You're going to teach them about global evangelism. You're going to teach them not to be small-minded. You're going to give them vision and hope and faith, and they're going to expand beyond their current vision, right? But teach them to begin with their own families. Now, even to this very day, look at me a moment, folks. To this very day, they estimate that 77%. Of those who are saved are saved through relationships, through friendships. And all, you know, the television and radio and gospel tracting in the world is good. Amen. It's very good. But it's still not the means that God uses. God is still using intimate relationships. And that tells me if I'm going to build my life as a solid evangelist, Jesus has given me a premise here. It's the same one He obeyed. I must, not should. I must begin by witnessing to my own family. Now, I don't know if there's anything more difficult than that, right? In fact, turn to John's Gospel, chapter 1. And there you see that that's exactly where Jesus began. John's Gospel, chapter 1 and verse 11. It says that he came first to they that were his own, but his own did not receive him. Jesus began with his own family, began with the Jews, began in his neighborhood, if you like. And there's a principle right here for us. Folks, it doesn't matter if you're witnessing to your own family is the area of your greatest failure. It really doesn't matter. What matters is that we do it. Now, you know as well as I do how difficult this can be. Remember what they said about Jesus when he tried to witness amongst his own people? They said, what? Isn't this the carpenter's son? And indeed, right here in Scotland, they have another little saying. I knew your father. I knew your father. So who are you to tell me? Now, I'm the youngest in my family. And we come from a Christian family, a very godly family, Roman Catholic. But of course, there's so much more in being born again. And so when I got saved, that was quite a hard thing. And I understood that for my family to cope with. And this area is one that we have to be incredibly, you know, tactful diplomatic within and not be self-righteous because in my early days I definitely got this wrong. (laughs) I went in with the wrong attitude. Went in like a paratrooper when I should have went in like a servant. And I cost, you know, some members of my family anyway years. And it was my fault, not theirs. I just didn't know quite how he's a servant king. You know that? Jesus Christ is a servant king. And I did not have that attitude and it cost a lot of grief. But when I got saved, one of the first things I did was write a letter. I think it was to every member of the family. Because we a happy family. And I just wrote a letter explaining what had happened to me. I've got nine brothers and sisters, you know, and I'm on one of that. <laughs> There's a lot of letters. <laughs> and, you know, the reply came back 11 years later. <laughs> 11 years was the first reply. And that was from my brother John, who had become an alcoholic a terrible alcoholic, and, and, and rang up, just remembering what was said, never forgot that there was a light there somewhere. And in his darkest moment, after his marriage had broken up, separated from his kids, drunk and lost and lonely, the day came when he reached for that light. And I'm so glad, just that simple letter. Hey, you can write a letter. Anybody here ever written a letter before? Hands up. Well, you've all had previous experience then. So you can go home. And you can write a letter to your family. doesn't have to be that personal. You can just explain what's happened to you. But I think there's some crisis of principle whenever we as believers say, you know, oh, I'm I'm going to be a missionary, you know. I'm called to Matabele land. Fine, but you haven't told your family. I think there's something quite twisted, even quite wicked, and that. And Jesus doesn't start like that. And we cannot. We cannot. Must not. Should not. <laughs> start like that. But rather come this route. And as we do, we'll be changed along the way. I don't really care about rejection. I don't know about you. I don't care if my family reject me. That's not the principle in which you can operate in life. I don't care if you reject me, actually. Right? You can't operate. You can't live your life with that sort of principle. It's, it's got to be a higher principle than that or you're not going to go nowhere. Amen. Right? So just do the right thing, and it doesn't matter what the consequences are. Write to them, phone them, ring them, and you can be surprised. Maybe they won't respond to you, but they may respond to someone else. Under that first section on your notes there, witnessing to our family, as I say, nothing could be harder probably, but what do we do? Where do we begin? Well, you can start by praying for them. Remember, it's not easy for them. Not easy, and many of you are disciplers here. Do you know you're. Disciple? Do you know one of the ways the devil will attack your disciple? Try and get them to fall out with their discipler. Because if he can separate you from the individual that God is using to lead you on, if he can give you bad thoughts, bad feelings, bad anything, he can disrupt the relationship of your growth and progression. You with me? So all disciples, remember, don't forget, Jesus prayed for his disciples. 50% of his time, they reckon. Because the devil would have been very busy in their minds, trying to separate them, trying to spoil the source of their growth, which comes not only through God, but through human beings. So you've got to remember that kind of principle when you're ministering to your family. When you go in there and you start talking, pray for them first. Pray for them that those stupid thoughts, twisted thoughts, tormenting thoughts will be freed from their minds and they will not have a prejudiced view of you right? Pray for them. Secondly, try and and be as blameless as you can be. Don't pollute your own gospel. And if you have, by previous actions, humble yourself and go back. Say sorry. Tell them what you've done and say, look, I'm sorry for the way I've treated you. I want to ask your forgiveness and we'll come to that later. doesn't matter, does it? Ask for forgiveness. Be as blameless as you can possibly be. You may need to confront, or what I've put there is care front, some issues within a brother, a literal brother, or a sister, or a mom, or a dad. Maybe they're doing something you know, terribly wrong, and it's something that's going to lead them ultimately to destruction. Well, you can talk about that in a loving way. Care front them. Bring that to them. That's part of our responsibility. Not self-righteously. Not self-righteously, but carefully and lovingly show them the error of their ways. And the fourth point there about witnessing to our family is a very good one. Maybe you could agree with another Christian. Maybe they won't listen to you and it's just not working. Okay, go and get someone else, another believer who maybe they know or maybe they don't. And try and set something up so someone else, you know, just get over that pride hurdle there. And and egg them in that way. Good works is a a huge way of opening doors for the gospel. Absolutely huge once again i I experienced this in a big way when i began working for a group of open-air preachers full-time and they asked me to go into the roman catholic schools uh, all over south wales and to hold daily assemblies and all these different schools and stuff i couldn't even get started i was ringing up the you know catholic school after catholic school and they were saying no 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 no, you're not coming in here and preaching no gospel you know no that's not that you know and i had a long list I got absolutely nowhere, nowhere. I was very distraught. And I lay down, I remember I was prostrate on my own at home, just lying before God, face down on the floor. God spoke to me, said, ring the schools. I sort of look up, I've been ringing the schools for weeks. (gasps) What do you mean, ring the schools? I get up, okay, pick up the phone. Hello, go through. And the guy on the other end of the phone said, I know you. Do you? You helped us. You helped us years ago, remember? I remember. Little bit of a crisis. It was a Catholic church. Little bit of a crisis they had, and I'd given them a sizable gift. You're not against us. You helped us. What's your problem? I said, well, I need to get in. Come along. That man... Opened the next door, and I ended up going into 34 schools for three years, right throughout term times. What opened the door to the gospel? Good works. The very thing Peter says. And do you know as raving Pentecostals, you can throw the baby out with the bathwater, and I think, uh, to a large degree, we as a church could really take this on board. I know Donatella brought it up recently, that we're very weak on good works. Now we need more people. We need more strength, because we're not quite there yet. There's a very good reason why... In the book of Acts, 3,000 people were saved. A very good reason. Because there was a church being started. And churches take people. It takes a critical mass. Now we don't have that luxury, but we're trying to get there. Right? So good works is important, very important. And even locally here, you do one good thing, and one shall tell another, do you know what those guys did? They did my garden. You know, they did this, they did that. We really should look at that very hard. and. Uh, the last point there, point six. Be faithful. Don't be a hot and cold Christian. That's a dreadful example to any of your family who you're trying to win to the Lord. If they see you in church one week and not in church the next, there's nothing to follow there. Amen? So stay faithful and remember that you are being watched. That's part of our life. Paul says we're put on a parade. That's what we're like as believers, right? We are being scrutinized, like it or not. So, don't compromise your own witness. That, that's a tragedy. So the first thing Jesus says, and I encourage you, I know we're a passionate church for evangelism, but it ain't nothing going to stand in the, in the length of time if the principles aren't right, if the foundations aren't right. And even if you have to go home tonight and start to make a plan about your family, do it. Do that. Communicate to them the gospel. The next thing he says is we are to go into all Judea. And that is basically the city, if you like. That's Glasgow city for us and many cities for you around the world. Time has time has changed. And when you look at the Old Testament particularly, you see them take city after city after city, right? There's nonstop wars. as It was acquisition, you know, as the kingdom of God moved forward. Now, in the New Testament, it isn't any different. It's just that they're not wars. They're spiritual battles now. It's it's, it's battles in the heavenly realms. We're no longer in the same sense fighting against flesh and blood. But we are definitely taking cities. And it's no different for Glasgow City. And that's why the most important thing our general topic at the moment is evangelism. The most important thing to do before evangelism is to bind the strongholds. that's why the guys meet here at 12 o'clock. Bind the strongholds that are down there in the city. Bind the strongholds that deafen and blind those you're going to speak to. Take authority. Can any man take the treasure out of a strong man's house unless he first binds that? No. Well, the devil is the prince of this world. And it is not pointless, but it's an awful lot harder. You're making it for yourself. If you witness to your family or you witness on the streets out here without first doing your homework, all evangelism is, is effective evangelism is twofold. It's an equal concentration on prayer, an understanding, a belief in what we do in prayer and then the outworking of that in reality. And again, I want it, we'll, do, we'll do it in, in great detail later. Spirits are territorial. Demonic forces are regional. So you get great concentrations in this city and in that. And we need to be absolute experts in the demons in Glasgow. We need to know the whole story. We need to know area by area and know the strongholds in that area. So we break those strongholds and then go and take the fruit. Right? Simple strategy, battle strategies. But demons are absolutely territorial. And that's why you see cities like Philadelphia with a massive gay population. That's why you see the south of Ireland awash with alcohol. These things are territorial, regional. And it's the responsibility, Jesus puts it on my shoulders and on yours because you live in Glasgow. It's our responsibility to know what they are and to deal with them. I've given you once again, under Judea, I've given you a list of things that we can do to start taking responsibility for this in Glasgow. All night prayer meetings, I think they are fantastic. It's a place where you can really get through into the kingdom. And that's a, a way that we can bless this city and free this city by cell groups around the different areas of the city so that people in their own localities have somewhere to go, by believing. Man. In one city I was in, actually, it was Liverpool, there was this guy in the church, and we were busy planting a new church, and this local guy used to come in, and every word out of his mouth was negative. Every time he spoke, you know, oh, Liverpool's a dump, Liverpool's never going to go anywhere. I used to challenge him, man, stop that. Watch your mouth. Don't speak like that. But there's a very good reason why missionaries exist, you know? Do you know why God sends someone to the other side of the earth? Because the people living locally lose their faith. They lose their faith. Jackie Pullinger, she's in Oxford. And God speaks to her to go and get a the world cruise. And he sends her all the way around the world. When she gets to Hong Kong, he says, get off. And she gets off. And she's walking down streets with big Pentecostal churches. And she's thinking to herself, what on earth am I doing here, God? There's loads of Christians here. And of course, God has to explain to her, loads of Christians, and not one of them doing what I've asked them to do. Now put your roots down. And from that came an awesome worldwide known church, the Chasing the Dragon, where many people on heroin got set free. There's a very good reason, sadly. Why God uses missionaries. And that's been the traditional way. It's because locals lose faith in their own area. We can get drunk, if you like, with what we see. It's so negative. Day after day. And that overwhelms us. And we cease to believe. To counteract that, that's your second point. Your third point. You need to have believing eyes. That as you look at Glasgow, as we look at Scotland, that we believe in revival. We believe in full, outright revival. Now the biggest enemy to that is inside the church, folks. It is, it's unbelief in Christians. Unbelief inside. We need to break that and believe, believe this one thing. That God will bring, that bride we spoke of this morning, out in these last days. We need to pray and prophesy. Remember Ezekiel. Ezekiel's a bit of a local. <laughs> Lost faith in his own city. And there he is, dilly-dallying one day, and God comes in and says, Ezekiel, what do you see? (laughs) They're all dead, God. Not just dead, Lord. They're long dead. It could equally be Glasgow. It could be Somerston. It could be Milton. It could be Woodside. What do you see, Sheila? What do you see, Jim? What do you see, Pastor Tom? What do you see in your locality? What's my reply? Ezekiel's answer was wrong. He said, God, they're not just dead. They're long dead. And he wants God to deal with it. You did. What's the answer? You alone know, Lord. And God has to say, no, Ezekiel, you're the prophet. On your feet. On your feet and start speaking out of what you know. Now say to the bones, live. Prophesy. Wake up. Don't be lazy. Prophesy. Use the gifts I've given you. Speak that word in. And that's what we're to do. Amen. To believe for the city. Goodness knows there's enough unbelief. When was the last revival in this city? Exactly. It was on the islands many years ago. But nothing local. And so that has to be broken. That's a mindset. It's a belief that must go. Amen. Amen. So believe. Have believing eyes. Prayer and prophesy. We need to endeavor for church unity and we've done that. We've joined in various pastors groups around this city and I would encourage any church out there watching to do exactly the same thing. Don't remain an island. Don't stay out there on your own. But find other you know, good believing churches and, and knit together and pray together. Where the brothers dwell in unity, there the Lord commands his blessing. We're, and the last point under working in a city like this city or any other city and the reality of any church it's just going to be an awful lot of work to do. <laughs> there is a lot of work to do. Some of you guys are working an enormous amount, and, and, I, and I so appreciate that, I think we all do. The work ethic here is, is extremely high. And do you know what? Do you know what's going to happen next? More work. <laughs> more work. There's more work coming than you could ever possibly dream of. There's not enough hours in the day, and by the way, if you think you're busy, You must be kidding, I could tell you a few stories, can't though. (laughs) Well I will, but I won't mention any names. I could name two people in this church that don't have one free evening, morning, afternoon, nothing, all week. Seven days, and then the next seven days, and then the next seven days. Everything's taken up with either work, study, or church. Do you know the Apostle Paul, he had witnessed here, witnessed there, witnessed here, witnessed there. Worked himself, they whipped him, stripped him and whipped him. And they had him suspended on chains in a cell, rotten, filthy cells, with other prisoners and rats around his feet. And as Paul hung there, it's hard work, man. It's hard work. But guess what? Acts. Paul says, the Lord stood beside me. And the Lord whispered in his ear, do you remember what it was? Now you've got to go to Rome. As you have witnessed for me in Jerusalem, the same stuff's gonna happen in Rome, get ready. And he was out and gone. It wasn't, Paul, you look worn out. I think you need a sabbatical. It was nothing like it. And do you know why? Because souls are too precious. Souls are too precious. And Paul, there's not enough of you. There's not enough of you. I, 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 you. know, Come, Paul, I want you with me. Come and do it. And Paul went out and did that, and we know indeed was martyred in Rome. So all revivals involve an enormous amount of work by Christians, by us. Behind every move of God that there has ever been on this planet has been an army of people who worked morning, noon, and night, who didn't give up who knew that their work was of value, who knew the importance of what they did. I'm just saying, folks, this is exactly the sort of church that this is. We are a working church, and I want to endorse that. And anything that enters your mind that says anything to the contrary, read your Bible. Read your Bible. There's a lot of work to do. And just, just embrace it and indeed enjoy it. In Mark chapter 6, It says the apostles were so busy, Mark chapter 6, verse 31, they didn't even eat. They didn't even have time to eat. They were so fast moving, so quick was the church growing, that they were carried away in that. And that's pretty much the same for much of us here with three meetings a day, etc. All I want to say to you folks is enjoy it. Amen? Enjoy the journey. Get stuck into it. See what you're doing. Know why you're doing it and do it all the more as the day approaches. So Jesus sets out principles, and if I build these principles aright, then I will, I will you know, come to be a proper evangelist. First, my family, Jerusalem. Secondly, my city. I've got responsibility there, Judea. And thirdly, Samaria, and these were the enemies, of course, of the Jews, and it's my enemies. And God requires me to be a witness, to be a friend to those who are not friends to me. And if I don't do that, hey, I'm no different from the lost, am I? I don't know if there's anything more powerful than having an enemy in your work, having an enemy in your flat, having an enemy in your street, and you go in with some sort of a Christian gift or something representing Christ when you know and they know that they have been cruel to you. They've been so bad to you. And here you are offering me like You, me, life? Now, I've told you before, when I when, when I got saved, I really had damaged two people's lives. And I was so far. Another letter. I'm good at letters, praise God. I wrote two letters and sent them, you know, into their houses and knew where they lived. And I never thought I'd hear another thing about it. But very quickly, both individuals came separately to see me. Shocking. As I shared, one of the the, the guy involved in that situation came to me and said, Maybe there is a God. Because we were enemies. Real enemies. Deep enemies. And the power of going to an enemy with the love of the gospel. Man, it shocks people, you know. So Jesus says, be different. Love your enemies. Do good to those who despitefully use you and persecute you. Wherever that is. In the home, in your work, wherever it is. Do good back to them. And watch how they're confounded by that. I think that's a, a very important one. So Jerusalem... Judea, Samaria, and then we really get into it. <laughs> the uttermost parts of the earth. Remember when we were talking about th- the, the, the 3D, the discipleship. We were all supposed to be a what? Disciple of Christ, the, a disciple of another, a human being, and a discipler. Do you know what, folks? This doesn't really work until all three are in place. It doesn't kick in. It's only It'll only be temporary. And until as an individual you get all three things fully operating. And until as a church, we get all three things fully operating, it doesn't really work. And it's exactly the same with these four areas that Jesus is talking about in evangelism. If I'm going to get that evangelistic spirit, if I'm going to have any impact or at least obey Christ here, then it actually involves all four of these things being operational in my life right now. And I need to accept the responsibility for my family, today. I need to accept the responsibility on my shoulders for Glasgow. I need to accept the responsibility to be a Christian to those who have been wicked to me. And I need to accept the responsibility that Christ sends me to all nations. Some people even have a problem with that, it, it beggars belief for me, you know, but they do. God forgive us. We've, I thank you partners, people who have commit with us financially around the world because we couldn't broadcast without you. But you might not believe this, but some people even have a problem with that. And don't understand why on earth, why do you want to broadcast on television? You know, a few people even left the church over that reason. I'm sorry, I just dumbfound, you know. Why on earth Would you not, why on earth in the last moments of time would you not share the gospel? I spent this afternoon with a young man who's been in Cairo on his own, isolated, just today. And he said, well, at least we had one thing. We got your program and we were able to follow that. Hallelujah, and email after email They come in the same. We've got no food. We've got no one to teach us. The churches here are not functioning, not doing their job. And thank God, thank you for being there for us and feeding us. Email after email, country after country. We as a church, you as an individual, have got the responsibility, not just for your family, not just for Glasgow, not just for your enemies, but for the whole earth. And Jesus puts it loud and clear. Go ye into all nations. He doesn't limit it. He doesn't even say, focus most on this. That's a cop out. And you know what, folks? We as a church will make a commitment to reach all nations, the whole earth. And we will not pull back and not stop. But it's so easy for us just to focus on ourselves. Don't answer this question if you know the answer. What's the average size of a church in America? The answers you normally get to that question are 10,000, 20,000. Do you know what the average size is? 70. 70 people. Because that's about as much as one man can even cope with, and that's a lot. And when a church doesn't have vision and doesn't accept these responsibilities, you are just doomed to a life on a treadmill of of rotating the same 30, 40, 50 people for the rest of your days. And all because you won't obey the commission. But when you take on this responsibility, and you actually make it your problem to get the gospel out, your problem to win the city, your problem in all these areas, you take the financial responsibility. You take the literal responsibility and get committed to church planting. All of a sudden, the church is not dull anymore. All of a sudden, we have a mission, a real mission. Hallelujah. These things have stood in time. Hey, guys, these things have stood for all time since since, since Jesus said them. But I don't know of any other time in history when they have been more more important than they are right now. Right now as I mentioned this morning, we're not just to be evangelistic. We are to be the bride. A a, a wholesome, lovely, winsome bride. And I think it's high time for that bride to appear. To appear in your street. To appear in your street. To appear in your workplace. To appear in your home. To your family. Let's make that our commitment. Don't just take one. It won't work. The dynamic won't be there. We've got to actually accept all four. And that requires great faith, great diligence, and an enormous amount of very hard work. And in the end, you'll die. And you'll appear before Jesus Christ. Pastor Tom, you asked a question here. Has anyone seen Jesus a few weeks ago? No hands went up. My hand was the only hand up. I could not believe that. I couldn't believe it. And my hand went up because I have seen Jesus. And I saw him at a time when I was totally and utterly isolated, alone, and worn out in a dead church, trying to move it forward. And they weren't like you. You guys are brilliant. These guys were hopeless. Oh, Sorry, Lord. But they were. They were dreadful. Absolutely dreadful. I said, can you see? No, can't see nothing. Stuck in religion. And I sat there broken-hearted, wounded, and totally alone, felt so isolated. And as I sat, it was communion time, and all of a sudden, boom, the face of Jesus before me. But guess what? He was ahead of me. And he was looking over his shoulder. He was ahead and beckoning me forward. And he was simply saying, Come. Come on. So I left that church. And on his face, do you know what was on his face? Suffering and joy. Your faces can tell a thousand stories, can't they? You can look at some people and say, wow. You could nearly write their life. You can see them. See what they've been through. See their hurts and their pains. And the face of Jesus, it told a story. Such suffering, Lord. Such pain, look. And yet through the midst of that was joy. Man, you've been through some hard work. Jesus. And to that throne where he sits with the same face and the same wounds, eternal wounds, the hands of Jesus Christ, one day you will walk. And you'll be alone, you know, each man giving your own account. And I don't know if there's there's nothing on earth worth more than to hear the words that Paul said he would give his life for. When we arrived there, he says, "Well done, well done. Life was hard, wasn't it? Well done, good and faithful servant. Let's bow our heads. Hallelujah. God, as the days draw to a close, as as, as this world begins its its final years, I pray we will not slumber and we will not sleep." but we will be wide awake and ready for service in this hour. And God, I thank you with all my heart for this church, this particular church, that you've given us a, an enormous work ethic. God, I thank you for John and Isabel and the service that they have put in over many years that, that's brought us to this place. For Ruth, God, for Henry and Syin, for Chris and Eileen, and for the many, many people over many years have worked morning, noon, and night. I thank you. I thank you for Leanne. I thank you for Pui. I thank you for Su Chin. All those who built this strong foundation. And God, we who have come in in these later years, would you stand with me? Just stand up a moment, please. We who have come in in these later years, I want you to make a commitment. To put your shoulder to the wheel. To pick up that cross. And it is rough. And it will stick into you. And you will get hurt. But in full knowledge of the pain. In full knowledge of what you're going to suffer. To make a commitment tonight. To say, do you know what God? I will do my part in this. Thank you for listening to today's program. I trust you have been blessed and edified by what you've heard. I want to ask you to do something, and that is to become a partner with us here at Preparing the Way. By doing so, you can help us to take these essential messages out to many other nations, many other people around the world. You can become a partner by visiting our website, preparingtheway.tv, and there you will find many ways that you can join up. Folks, it is a pleasure and an honor to partner with you in bringing in the end times harvest. God bless you. And once again, thank you for listening.